Welcome to this week's edition of Record Roundtable, where we when I woke up talk morning, about an artist, talk about a singer, talk about a man. Like total this week, that man is John Prine. The only friend I had. Bowl of oatmeal tried to stare me down. This is Caleb Robinson speaking. I'm here with... I'm Dax. Jared. Tyler. And again, this week we've been talking about John Prine. So how did everybody feel about John Prine this week? It was a very good week of listening to some good music. A little, a little sad. I could see a little sad. A little sad. A little sad. It's undoubtedly sad. I enjoyed it. I'm glad we did it. I had put John Prine in the new artist playlist that we have uh, several months ago. Um, so I am glad that, um, we picked it because of what has happened, but also it, we would have at some point done it as well. We're not know. capitalizing. John Prine was a, an, a choice that we were going to make at some point regardless, mm-hmm. but now would be a good time to talk about his lineage and his career. Yes. Very true. I also had a good week. RIP to John Prine. It's quite sad. He was a. What a songwriter. I don't know what to tell you. Man had a way. I mean, he's folk, but he's country. But, you know, he's got lots of songs peppered throughout there that's just like got some grit to him. You know what I'm saying? A little bit of rock and roll influence in his music as well. Mm -hmm. I uh, was listening to an interview, uh, him and Mark Maron, uh, on the Mark Maron podcast. He said, WTF? Yep, that's the one. But yeah, he said that his dad would listen to the country radio. You know, get all the hits that were going on, like the, the Johnny Cashes and the whatnots. Uh, his brother was really into old-timey music, like uh, real old country. And uh, he liked rock and roll. So he had all those influences mixed mixed in there. No doubt. He's got lots of country music uh, uh, instrumentation, I guess is what I was looking for. But he does have a lot of rock and stuff. And, and then the later on... You know, he gets to a little more easy listening and some stuff too, you know what I mean? In terms of adding some light synth and stuff like that, so. So do you guys think, so we listened to not all of John Prine, um, and a lot of the albums that I, like, that I kind of picked for this week were ones that a lot of people had considered some of his more essential listens. listens. Do you think that we got a good taste of what John Prine sounds like from what we listen to, or do you think that do you think there were some missing pieces from your outside listening? Um, I think we got a pretty good taste of um his who he is and with the kind of music that he made. Uh there was some stuff that we missed. Um there's uh he did a, a, a God Only Knows with uh Phil Spector. Uh, I think Phil Spector had something to do with the production of one of his albums, which is kind of weird. And then um, the album German Afternoons. Uh, I listened to that, and that was pretty good um, as well. Um, it had uh, sound of, or Speed of the Sound of Loneliness, which is one of his um, bigger songs that people really like and have covered and stuff. And that song is on that album. And um, that it came out in 86. I, we didn't get very much 80s stuff from we him. We didn't cover any of his 80s work. Um, and then also, I, is this a good time to, to play the song I want to play? Sure. Uh, this he has a song called "Let's Talk Dirty in Hawaiian," and it is <laughs> great. What album's that on, Jared? 
It's on German afternoon. Hey, let's talk dirty in a white. Whisper in my ear. Kick a poop and mock a wawahini. All the words I long to hear. Lay a coconut on my tiki. What the heck a mooka mooka dear? Let's talk dirty in a white. Say the words I long to hear. I love that so much. It's so good. It's so weird, but so good. Is that offensive? No, it's not. Think so? No, it's not. Are you? I mean, we're not Hawaiian. We don't know what's offensive. So. Not offensive to me. I'm just asking. Would that have been offensive to someone from Hawaii? No way. We have. I don't think so. But we have no idea. So let's just hope not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess so. Go ahead and correct us if we're wrong. Hit All us, of our hit Hawaiian us friends. Hit us up Aloha our... to you. <laughs> Hit us up on our Facebook if you think that that was somewhat perhaps uh, insensitive, I guess. Or maybe it was just funny. I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. It's an interesting song, that's for sure. I know. There ain't no way it's insensitive. Is sound like a man that would be insensitive to a Hawaiian woman? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or man. Probably. Or man, but you know. Yeah, because he said something about putting a, uh, a coconut on a, a tiki. Yeah. Oh boy. Kokatiki. How suggestive. Uh, sounds fine to me. That's like if uh if uh Jimmy Buffett took things in a different direction. That's yeah. how that kind of made me think. <laughs> he does have some uh Buffett to him a little bit. I was li- on so last night I found a twenty a playlist of covers of different people doing John Prine songs. It's like twenty four hours long. It's so long. But uh, Jimmy Buffett actually has a whole album called Encores, where it's songs that he has come out during the encore and like covered. So he had covered two different John Prine songs. So that's one of the reasons, I guess, why it's in my mind. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I can kind of see the parallels of of that. I don't think that they really, but they, I mean, they do have a bit of a connection. Um, so looking at the the. The Broken Hearts and Dirty Windows Songs of John Prine album that you put in here, mm-hmm. a lot of these make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Like, if you think about Connor Oberst, if you think about My Morning Jacket, if you think about Deer Tick, like, all of those, to me, make a lot of sense in terms of who would be interested from, like, a rock perspective in the music of John Prine. Not necessarily just, like, an Avic Brothers and Old Crow Medicine show that you would kind of know. There's also other people... Because, like, really, if you think about, like, a Connor Oberst, the songwriting of John Prine is really one of the key features that makes him an essential artist is the way that he wrote the music, the words that he chose to use, the stories that he would tell through his music, and you can tell that someone like a Connor Oberst would have been influenced by something like that. So to preface, nobody necessarily, like, picks... So we've been doing picks over the last few months. Like, different people get to pick artists among our, our four-person group here, and nobody really picked John Prine. It was just kind of a consensus that with our extra our extra week that we were gifted that we would go with a John Prine pick. Um, so there's not necessarily one person I would direct this question to because it's not necessarily just one person who was really interested in doing John Prine. Mm-hmm. So the question really is, is what would be the essential album if you were to go out and say, Hey, person, you've never listened to John Prine before. Here's the album that you should go listen to 
to really know what John Prine was all about. I would say the debut album for sure. Yep. It has the most songs that are really good. Uh, it has, I would say, his most known and best song, uh, which is Sam Stone. That's the first song I ever heard from him. So I'll get into these YouTube wormholes a lot where I'll like play a song and then um, it'll like in the suggestions or whatever, it'll go to another song and another song. And so somehow I was listening to something. It probably was because I was listening to, um, I don't, I don't even know where it would have been from something. And it came up um, a live version of Sam Stone that he did at the Grand Ole Opry. And he kind of explained the song a little bit and then he played it and it, kind of struck me it's it's quite a an interesting sad song and it was most i mean to write that song and put it on your debut album is crazy but also like to get into the grit of kind of the things that he dealt with coming from um vietnam and you know like the wars that he had been in and um his service and stuff um but i mean that song in particular has one of my favorite John Prine lines mm-hmm. in general, which is, um, if I, I'll try and quote it correctly without looking. There's a hole in Daddy's arm where all the money goes. Jesus Christ died for nothing, I suppose. Yep. Which That's is it. like a really, really solid line. Mm-hmm. Honestly, so some good. good, some good songwriting right there. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, you don't. You have a lot of people. You know, like John Fogerty, which I mean that that talk about um, after war uh, and even the John Fogarty stuff is it's sung in a way that is positive, but the words are not same thing with Bruce Springsteen with born in the USA, which was much later. But you know, you, when you have protest songs, most of the time they kind of veil it, but Sam Stone was not veiled uh, at all. You know, no. it, it's, it's very direct and somber and tells a very sad story. Is that anybody's favorite song? Okay, it's mine now. Sam Stone. I had a handful that I wanted to pick, and that's one of them. So if no one's going to pick it, I will. With a purple heart and a monkey on his back There's a hole in daddy's arm where all the money goes Jesus Christ died for nothing, I suppose Little pitchers have big ears Don't stop to count the years Sweet songs never last too long On broken radios Such a nice, just... Early on, I thought that would be my favorite song. It just has so much to it. There's just... You can listen to it just a hundred times and come away with a little something each time. Can we talk about his debut album for a minute? We are talking about his debut album right now, in fact. And I and I would also have to say that that's the album I would choose to tell people. I know that's an old question now, but I would agree with you too. Yeah, I would I would think that I that everybody would agree with that one. So uh he was a mailman in Chicago. Twenty five years old. Yep. He is um going out and doing his route and then he'll uh go off and um play the bars, play a little music. Uh Roger Ebert was reviewing a movie and he left the movie and went to a bar and John Prine was playing. Roger Ebert wrote a review about him and from that 
from that day on, John Prine always sold out. He always had a full house. And that's when he took off. That was in 70, and then he came out in 71. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he just blew up, basically, overnight. Yeah, that uh, album, man, it's just a good album. There's lots of good songs and, and just interesting stuff on that. Really has a lot of his big songs on it. Not that he didn't, you know, everyone knows that he has other songs. I really liked uh, Your Flag Decal Won't Get You Into Heaven Anymore. Yeah, I mm-hmm. like that. That's a good song. Illegal Smile. Paradise is a big song, of course, of of his. And when I played football in high school, my... uh head football coach his father came and coached with us for a year and he always sang the uh chorus to paradise all the time he'd sing it all day long out there when we were practicing so that was my introduction to john prine i was finding that song after he kept singing it but uh it's semi-autobiographical too i mean his both his parents were from from uh muhlenberg county kentucky which i think is where he took a lot of the country influence and um I mean that's you like it's easy to hear in his lyrical content that that's where he got some ideas of like what it reminds me of if if I'm thinking of a modern album uh, or a mindset that's kind of similar is Lonesome Crowd of West by Modest Mouse where Isaac Brock mentioned seeing all of the open area out there in the space outside of Seattle start to fill up with malls and just a bunch of nonsense you know what I'm saying and uh, John Prine saw that area of Kentucky, especially Paradise, which is now nothing but a power plant surrounded by coal coal yards. Uh, you know, he saw things changing and nature being destroyed and this or that. I think that really affected him. That's got a favorite line of mine in it. Actually, that song. Well, he says, well, they dug for the coal to the land was forsaken. Then they wrote it all down as the progress of man. It's a pretty good line. A lot of the music on that first album he wrote during his routes He'd be walking around doing his thing, and he'd just kind of come up with these melodies and songs in his head. Man, it's just hard to... I, you get so many examples of great songwriting on his part. I mean, another song that I just would like to highlight that's uh, kind of a, a different type of protest song for the war was on that uh, second album, Diamonds in the Rough, Take the Star Out the Window, where in the chorus, you know, he talks about a man coming home from war and tells... His family not to ask him about, don't ask me any questions about the medals on my chest, you know, take the star out the window and let my conscience take a rest. And it's just like, you know, instead of just being about, I mean, it's a post-war protest song, thinking about all of this stuff, you know, what what do these people have to deal with now that they're sitting around here at home after all that stuff? Yeah. Well, that's what Sam Stone is about. I mean, he, true, what he dealt with after war, you know I mean? That it, the people that go to war are obviously heroes, but the way that they're treated once they get back is not. A hero's welcome right you know so and because you have somebody that uh, a homeless person they put a veteran on a sign you will not automatically assume that they're lying you know and they're why doesn't the va help you it's like well because they don't help they can't do it you know they, there's right. not enough funding and whose fault is that you know the people that you put in whatever i don't want to get on soapbox here <laughs> that's fair <laughs> i think it's interesting in terms of his songwriting that um, he's not necessarily just like a protest song. He's not necessarily just like these really poignant lyrics or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He also is a, just a silly, silly man. Yes. He's a silly, silly man. Like if you look at the opening track uh, of his debut, Illegal Smile, at the very end of it, he he says, well done, 
hot dog bun, my sister's a nun, and that's how he closes the song. And it's like, what are you doing? The song off of Diamonds in the Rough, uh, The Frying Pan, is just a weird one. Yep. And then my personal favorite John Prine song, which was off of the album The Missing Years, is Jesus The Missing Years. Hmm. It's pretty. It's a pretty silly one. It's a pretty silly one. Let me play some clips from that one that I thought were some uh, particularly goofy lines. He didn't need this shit. So he took a pill with a Coca-Cola. He swallowed it. He discovered the Beatles. And he recorded with the Stones. Once he even opened up a three-way package for old George Jones. Charlie bought the popcorn. Billy bought a car. Someone almost bought the farm, but they didn't go that far. Things shut down at midnight. At least round here they do. Cause we all reside down the block inside it. 23's could do. So he like it's a That's mix awesome. it's a mixture of some silliness, but also some like just good songwriting, and I was like this is a good song. I could see I could see the merit in this song right the, here. The song It's a Big Old Goofy World is another pretty silly song, too. It is. So a little bit about that album uh, from The Missing Years. On the cover of the album, he's sitting in front of a haystack. And uh, he is from Chicago, and he basically said, I don't know anything about hay. No. He, <laughs> yeah, the, like, he was like, I didn't even, like... I don't know anything about this. They're trying to sell him as like a good old boy, right. country guy. He's a and city he's, boy. And he, yeah, he's like, I, this is not me. No. But he, I mean, he was signed to a record label, so he did what he was told, but he's got a big old goofy grin on his face, and that's because he's like, this is stupid. Speaking of the the uh, the the album covers, uh, <laughs> I use a uh, website to write my reviews, albumoftheyear.org, uh, org. And there is one of the more popular reviewers on there who goes by the handle Doofy. His picture is uh, uh, from the movie There Will Be Blood. Who knows why? But I wanted to quote him because he said, perhaps one of the funniest things that I have read about John Prine. He said, always had a deep affinity with John because his album sleeves seemed to document a man at constant war with his own hair. <laughs> if you go through the album covers of John Prine, you will notice that his hair is constantly in flux. It is insane. <laughs> it's either like he's got this like big hair sometimes, and then he cuts it off, and then he's got an 80s haircut, and then he cuts it off, and then he's got a normal haircut. It's just, man, that guy had some odd hair. Some odd, odd hair. One of my favorite examples of uh, his like weird and quirky songwriting is... Uh... In spite of ourselves. Yeah, that's a good song. That was that was the first song I realized who John Prine was. I knew John Prine's songs. I just didn't put them with the person. I had never like you know what I mean? Yeah. That one's not a song from John Prine though, is it? Yes it is. He I thought it. that all the In Spite of Ourselves songs were covers. No. Are they not? No. Oh. Okay. I thought those were all covers of like old country songs. Did you listen to the lyrics of In Spite of Ourselves? Because it don't sound like an old country song. Not at all. Can we, you want to play it? Sure. That was going to be my favorite song, so I can pick something hey. different if you're going to play it. Oh, well. So this too. week um, after, uh, I'll go ahead and do a little story, but this week after he, uh, or I guess it was a few weeks ago, whenever it was, he passed away, 
Kevin Bacon and his wife did a cover of In Spite of Ourselves and put it online as a tribute. A lot of people are doing tributes to him. And it was it was a good cover. Uh, most people don't know that Kevin Bacon uh, sings, but he's part of the Bacon Brothers a group. Uh, and also, uh, now you have another degree. <laughs> now you have another degree uh, to, have, to Kevin Bacon and John Prine. So there you go. And it's essential to have those degrees of bacon. Those degrees of bacon. She don't like her eggs all runny. She thinks crossing her legs is funny. She looks down her nose at money. She gets it on like the Easter bunny. She's my baby. I'm her honey. I'm never gonna let her go. He ain't got laid in a month of Sundays. Caught him once and he was sniffing my undies. He ain't too sharp, but he gets things done. Drinks his beer like it's oxygen. He's my baby, and I'm his honey. Never gonna let him go. I love that song. So, to answer your question from before the song, that album is full of cover songs, except for In Spite of Ourselves, he wrote. I See, that's what I thought. Okay, so I wrote, thought those were all cover songs. He wrote In Spite of Ourselves, but he did not write any of the other songs. Okay. And so, the featured artist on that song is Iris DeMint. Who was on four of the songs from that album. Yes. And she was also on uh, another album where uh, they do duets as well. And they did a cover. I don't even know if it's a cover or an original. But it's called uh, Who's Gonna Take the Garbage Out. And that is a great song too. Now, Iris DeMint is great. And the reason I know about Iris DeMint is because I watched the movie True Grit. And at the very end of True Grit, uh, when the, the scene, the film is over... The big kicker happens, and uh, she does a version of leaning on the everlasting arms, and it like is one of the most perfect ends to a movie that has nothing to do with like the actual end, but just like the way that the film ended with her singing that and her voice. Oh my gosh, I love that song. I love just that version of it is great. Like Iris Dement is great, and I'm glad that she has worked with John Prine. It's got something to do with the end of that movie. It's a sad old, it's a sad old end. What's she gonna do? You know what I'm saying? She's got now. She got no one left in her life. That's a Coen Brothers film. I know how much Tyler loves the Coens. Yes, it is. It's a remake, and it's. I mean, it's better than the original, but it's because of the time. So, so be it. I do enjoy the album in spite of ourselves. It is one of the better John Prine albums just because I thought that it added a good amount of like variety to his sound. Mm -hmm. And usually I wouldn't enjoy like the more country esque album from an artist like that. Cause this is definitely the one that I felt leaned the heaviest into an old country sound. Well, yeah. Cause they're covering all old country things. Exactly. Hank Williams is on. I mean, Hank Williams songs, Everly Brothers songs, George uh, Jones. Yeah, George Jones, um, Tex Ritter. You know, like I mean, yeah. there's a lot of old names, old country names that are on there. But I like I like the addition of having the female vocalists, the duos throughout all of these album, the, all of this album. I thought it added something different to John Prine's discography. In yeah, a lot of ways. I mean, 
And it's really one of his last essential albums outside of really, because I think that really the two of his best albums are his debut and his final album. Yeah. Like he he bookends his career really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Tree of Forgiveness is one of my, is one of my favorites of his albums. It, it may be my favorite. I really loved that album when it came out a couple years ago. Uh, John Prine's wife is actually on the album in spite of ourselves. He sings. She Gianna sings. Prine. Yeah, with him in uh, "Till a Tear Becomes a Rose." So uh, there's a cover. Uh, someone covered John Prine that I want to talk about here. Uh, Bette Midler uh, did the song "Hello" in there. Uh, can we can we play that? Just real quick. You don't have to play much. We had an apartment in the city. Me and my husband liked living there. It's been years since the kids have grown a life of their own. Left us alone. So not only is that just a beautiful version, but you may know Bette Midler as the wife of one of the Kipper kids. That is a reference to the $2 Cinema Club. Club. It's on Patreon.com slash Record Roundtable. Go look at it. Oh, wow. Proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Got to get a little sponsor bit in there, even if it's our own sponsored thing. We're sponsoring ourselves. <laughs> so on the Tree of Forgiveness... Uh, I had a couple songs that I found pretty interesting. Uh, one that I showed Caleb is Egg and Daughter Night, Lincoln, Nebraska, 1967. And then yeah, but it, but in parentheses, Crazy Bone. I thought that was great. He's like, Let's play that scat bit Skeet, skeet, scatting around. If they knew what you were thinking, they'd run you out of Lincoln. Just blame it on that whole crazy bone. Here comes that crazy bone. Yeah, da, 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 da. What album was that off of? That was the Tree of Forgiveness. So that's after his throat surgery? Yeah, because uh, he had uh, cancer in two different occasions, correct? Yeah, I think he had neck cancer and lung did he have lung cancer or just something wrong with his lung he had cancer i don't know i do not know that's what i know mm. okay so. and then uh track five on that album is a caravan of fools which was co-written with dan auerbach from the black keys oh really huh. yep. i would not have known that pat mclaughlin john prine and dan auerbach uh which uh all wrote um that song. So I thought it was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah, he. Uh, you can definitely get a sense of a much more weathered voice on the Tree of Forgiveness. And I have found that these last albums from these old, these very old artists tend to be very, very like well-told stories. You know, like we had the the last album from David Bowie, the last album from uh, Leonard Cohen that we listened to recently. Now this last album by John Prine, like these last albums by artists are often very well timed and very very well thought out. Like the last song that John Prine put on one of his albums is the song When I Get to Heaven. Like, you know, when you're in your old 70s and you fought cancer two times, like you have an idea of where, you know, that your life is coming to a close 
And, you know, Prine was obviously aware of that and, you know, wrote songs from the perspective of someone who was, you know, moving on from this life. And that is a story that many do not have the opportunity to tell through their music. That's very true. I mean, not that he knew this was going to happen, but no. Um, but I mean, if you're, you know, he was, I believe, 71 when the Tree of Forgiveness came out. You know, when you're in your yeah. early 70s and you've battled cancer twice, you know, the, the writing is on the walls at that point that yeah. you're getting close to the end of your life. But I mean, that's happened a few different times over the last few years in music. You have uh, David Bowie, obviously. Uh, Leonard Cohen, who basically knew what was going, what was going down. Uh, Bob Dylan's been writing the last albums of his life for the past twenty years. I mean, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Good point. That's true. Of course, I mean, uh, Dylan and Dylan and or Dylan, uh, Bowie and uh, Cohen, you know, supposedly knew the status of their own health at the time as well. You know, outside, you know, at the particular moment. Right. Mm-hmm. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson didn't know. That's for sure. Dr. Conrad Murray killed him. Oh. Why here? Why here? You know, when you're dead, you're a dead peckerhead. <laughs> that, is, that is a John Prine line. That is a John Prine line. I love that so much. He's funny, man. Yeah. I like how he's going to smoke a non-mile cigarette. <laughs> I thought it was longer than that. I thought it was 30 miles. I think it's nine. Let's listen to real quickly when I get to heaven. Let's figure out how long that cigarette is he's going to smoke. Well, then I'm going to get a cocktail, vodka, and ginger ale. Yeah, I'm going to smoke a cigarette that's nine miles long. I'm going to kiss that pretty girl on the tilt of world. Yeah, this old man is going to town. Miles it was. I love that so much. It's so good. That was going to be the closing track, but now it doesn't have to be. We can do something else. Most of the time in a like a farewell album, I don't always like them. You know what I mean? Like it's the end of somebody's career. Most of the time they don't know it's going to be. So like they put out um, half-assed work because they have to fulfill a contract or they want to keep making that money or whatever. Um, But this album, you know, it's actually, I really enjoyed it. Uh, for an older folk country singer. You know, like that doesn't happen that often. And a lot of times people in that genre put out so many albums that not, they're not really essential and they don't know the last thing is going to be the last thing. You know what I mean? Like whatever the last thing that Kenny Rogers put out probably wasn't what he wanted it to end on if he would have known. No. But he had like 900 albums when he died. Same thing with Johnny Cash. Right. Johnny Cash knew. Uh, had, he, the writing was on the wall for that. And that's another like, but it wasn't original music that he put out. He put out covers uh, in that time. And most of his career was covers as well. But, um, you know, but he made hurt his own, you know, and, and for Rusty, sure. Rusty Cage and thing, you know, like he made those things his own. Johnny Cash, good guy. I really like that album too. Like I said, when it, it it's just really good, and and I it was well received too, and he just did good work. I mean, the only album he had before that for the past eleven years was for better or worse, which was kind of the same uh, style as in spite of ourselves. Yeah, it's the same like um, duet kind of concept. Well, uh, his last original work was Fair and Square before the Tree of Forgiveness, so it had been thirteen years since he had done original work. And, I mean, really, you know, later in his years at that point, it really was missing years, 
like from that point on, it was kind of shoddy in terms of how often he would do original works versus how much he would do cover albums and really how much he would do any album. The missing years is kind of like the end point of his consistency, I guess. Yeah, that, that appears like it. Other than that Christmas album, which is pretty good, I listened to um, the uh, a John Prine Christmas song, which was good. And then I listened to If You Were the Woman and I Was the Man, which is a really good song as well. It's a little gender reversal song. That's pretty cool. I'd love to hear John Prine do uh, You're Me When Mr. Grinch. I would too. Oh my gosh, that'd be great. If only. He would have been the good band. Did you listen to uh, Mental Cruelty, the song he did with Casey Musgraves? I did. What did you think? I wasn't super impressed with it. It was all right. I mean, it's Casey Musgraves, so I'm going to like that portion of things, but yeah. you know, I, it wasn't his best song, I don't think. She's no Irish demand, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, don't even try. Tyler, what's your, uh, what's your favorite song from John Prine? That's a pretty difficult question because I found myself having favorites on every album. And I've tried to wrangle with it and make a determination, but I think I'm going to choose one off of Tree of Forgiveness. And I think I'm going to choose No Ordinary Blue. Said, what were you thinking? I'm just wondering, is it something that I did? I said it's nothing, it's just something I picked up as a kid. A lot of empty spaces I see A big hole in you I feel An outline of traces An imaginary path back to you This ain't no ordinary blue It's pretty nice. It's a very good one. I also like Summer's End off that album. Mm-hmm. That chorus has got a little uh, Wildflowers, Tom Petty in it. Jared, are you the holdout? Oh, uh, I guess so. I I get an extra song. Yeah, because you, uh, you were going to pick uh, In Spite of Ourselves, but you yes. got a freebie. I did. Got a freebie. That's This is a difficult question. I think, man, I think I'm going to pick Angel from Montgomery. I like that song a lot. I didn't know that I was like... It took me this week for it to to really appreciate that song. I I, I like souvenirs uh, off of um, Diamonds in the Rough as well. I I th- that's probably really his biggest song. I know so? that you had you had said Sam Stone, but I feel like Angel Angel from Montgomery is really one of his biggest songs. So and I I like that song quite a bit. It shows off some of his more like orchestral sound. And not necessarily just like the old folksy country sound. Like he's got a little bit more, there's a little bit more meat to that song mm-hmm. than a lot of some of his other work. Another child that's grown old. If dreams were lightning, thunder were desire, this old house would have burnt down a long time ago. Make me. I think 
I, I think that it's that organ that really gets me. That thing mm-hmm. is pretty killer good. in there. Pretty good organ. I love the organ. This thing's great. I was really close to picking that. Looks like that, uh, you know, he wrote that song after a friend suggested he write another song about old people. <laughs> give us give us some more songs about old folks. Yeah, referring to it to hello in there. And uh, Prine said that he had said everything he wanted to say about seniors and hello in there. But he was intrigued by the idea of a song about a middle-aged woman he felt older than she was. So he decided to write her anyway. And he used Montgomery as a setting because of Hank Williams. And I guess uh, it looks like that Hank Williams' granddaughter, Holly, plays Angel in Montgomery in her uh, as a staple in her set. So that's pretty nice right there. Well, full circle. That is pretty cool. I think that um, of the people we've done in Record Roundtable thus far, I think that probably John Prine is the closest to Bob Dylan. I was um, going to actually just bring up Bob Dylan like as soon as you guys wrapped up the thought you had, so I, thank you. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, obviously from different parts of the country, uh, both in terms of regionally and uh, the style of country, you know, like, um, but I, I mean... I don't really see, I don't think that John Prine was doing anything to try and be like Bob Dylan, but I think that the things that he wrote about were from the perspective of somebody from Illinois, mm-hmm. you know, like, and it, that is the folk music that he was able to write. Um, so, I, I mean, but I think that, like, that kind of styling, folk, country folk, uh, new, new morning era, Nashville skyline era of Bob Dylan. I got a lot of that in listening to John Prine. Not that, you know, you really need to compare the two, but of the people we've done, I think that John Prine is the closest. Well, in my reading um, throughout this week, what one thing I saw about John Prine with the comparison to Bob Dylan is that his songwriting style is just a little bit more narrative where Dylan has kind of more obscure lyrics that are kind of talking about topics um, Prine is a little bit more on the nose and he tends to write stories with his music rather than, um, you know, just writing music really when it comes down to it. Dylan is very much a poet. Yeah. Whereas Prine is a storyteller. Yep. That is the distinction between the two artists. Yep. John, uh, Bob Dylan actually covered John Prine in 1991. Uh, he did people putting people down. He covered that in 1991, uh, at a, on his never ending tour. So that's pretty cool that, I mean, all those years ago, he kind of gave a nod to Mr. D- Prine. So at this point, does anybody have any closing thoughts to say about Prine? John Prine's music, John Prine's life, so on and so forth? I don't know. It's kind of, it's just kind of sad, you know what I mean? Man was, uh, had the album out and had kind of come, I mean, I would say he came back into the spotlight a little bit, I suppose. I mean, it was relatively well lauded when it came out. I remember seeing a lot about it. And, uh, you know, he's kind of have a little heyday in his older years. And it's just a shame that we uh, had to lose him. But uh, his legacy lives on as a, I mean, he was a great songwriter who definitely spanned a couple of genres. I mean, in between folk and country. And, you know, I mean, it's hard to see that. And, it's a uh, he sang about things that most country people wouldn't sing about. So I'd like to think I'd like to think that you know he brought a lot of ideas and thoughts maybe to the country western world that were not represented appropriately during his era. 
I could certainly see that. And I would also say that, you know, as one of the, I mean, really the first country artist that we have covered on record roundtable, I can't think of another artist who I would argue falls as closely into the realm of country. Obviously, Prine, you know, dabbles in other realms. Um, he's definitely one of the country artists that like you would you would ration is worth discussing as a, a full artist rather than just kind of, you know, saying, oh, yeah, there's a couple songs from Keith Urban that mm-hmm. are worth talking about. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i glad we did it. I'm glad that, you know, I, I discovered him several months ago. I didn't I had never heard of John Prine until I saw that live performance of Sam Stone. So I didn't you know, like I just didn't know anything about him until you know i found him very recently which you know is unfortunate but at the same time it's like at least i didn't discover him right after he passed away you know at least i have some kind of realm of idea of who he is but um i mean i'm glad that we uh did this it shows you know kind of how much he meant to the music industry that there's so much um uh tribute and covers and stuff the npr tiny desk did an entire um 20 minute set of different people doing covers of john prine songs um npr clearly has a respect for john prine because they also did a whole podcast on all songs considered talking about the music of john prine uh, nathaniel ratcliffe did a cover jason isbell was on you know like people important people within that styling the same styling of john prine kind of started are people that have taken the torch and they're paying their respects to him um and it's i mean it, it's it is unfortunate that he has passed away but it is good that he's able his music is able to live on and people are paying tribute to him in this time thank you for listening to this week's edition of record roundtable this week we've been talking about john prine and next week we're going to be talking about steve albini Check out our website at recordroundtable.com. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash recordroundtable. Check out all our other social media bits. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and goodbye. Where paradise lay. Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's cold train is hauled it away.